Welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson, CEO at NextGen Agri International, where we help livestock managers to get the best out of their stock. I want to take this opportunity to thank our friends at MSD Animal Health and Allflex for sponsoring Head Shepherd again this season. And I'm also excited to introduce our mates at Heinegger as brand new sponsors of the show. MSD and Allflex, or perhaps better known as Cooper's Animal Health in Australia, offer one of New Zealand and Australia's largest livestock product portfolios with a comprehensive suite of animal health and management products connected through identification, traceability and monitoring solutions. Like us, they see how the wealth and breadth of information born out of this podcast can help them and their farming clients achieve their mission of the science of healthier animals. Heineken will need a little introduction to our audience, a market leader and one-stop shop for wool harvesting and animal fibre removal, together with an expanding range of agricultural products and inputs. The Heineken name is synonymous with quality, reliability and precision. The Heineken team have a deep understanding of livestock agriculture, backed by Swiss engineering and a family business dedicated to manufacturing the best. It's fantastic to have both of these sponsors supporting us in bringing Head Shepherd to you each week. And now it's time to get on with this week's episode. Welcome back to Head Shepherd. Ferg here. Great to have you listening along. This week you've just got me, no guest. I uh, just thought I'd focus on on technology and change and the exponential rate of change and have a bit of a conversation to get you thinking. We get good feedback when, when we challenge your thinking. So yeah, we're going to have another go at that this week. And then back into our normal guests uh, in following weeks. This is a little bit prompted by by a book I'm reading at the moment. When I say reading, I mean listening to when I'm out in the morning going for a, a bit of a jog or or sometimes a walk, uh, often listening to a book or if I'm driving out and about, which I've done a lot of last week out to clients' farms, I'll often either be listening to a podcast or to an audio book and that's the way I take in information these days and find that really useful. I never have had time to, to sit down and read a book. I'm sure a bit more disciplined than I could. I've read a lot of scientific articles and done a lot of things, but really, yeah, I just love that I can listen to books and get that get that wisdom without without uh, while doing other things, the same as we can on a podcast, obviously. The book I'm listening to at the moment, and only partway through that, is called Humanification. It's by Christian Crom, and hopefully I've pronounced that right. He's a a bit of a futurist and a specialist in artificial intelligence and really enjoying his take on on innovation and technology change and he studies it to a to a great degree and and, and really uh, some really interesting concepts coming out of that. It's written four or five years ago. The audiobooks, well, as far as I know, has been recently released. So there's some things that have happened since since it was written that that means that it's not a 100% relevant, but the concepts are very relevant to to how we go about innovation. There are a couple of take-homes already in the book, and one is that innovation follows exactly the same seven steps that nature does, That, and he keeps going back to the fact that whether it's a natural population increase or whether it's a technology change, it's exactly the same process, and there's lots of parallels between how nature performs and and how how the biological world works and how innovation change happens and it's a really interesting take. I guess we sometimes think that technologies somehow change the fundamentals of the planet, but in practice this is not possible. In practice the things that are happening are are governed by the by the same laws that sort of has governed nature for, for eons. One thing that's really interesting and something that 
obviously we're sort of all aware of, and that's the S-curve of, of change. It's a law that is as strong as gravity or any other fundamental law that that you have that really slow grind when there's almost nothing happening, when it's a really flat line. And then gradually you start to see a bit of a, a kick upwards and then for a significant period of time there's exponential growth where change happens so rapidly that many people get blown away by it and then obviously as it gets close to to saturation that change starts to slow down again and then we flatten out on the on the top of the S and then often in technology terms some other technology will will have started up and and will go will go again or and if we think about it in populations sometimes it'll get stable and then some other force will happen and it'll go crashing down again and and then start rebuilding so Really interesting. And if we think about the S curve in the uptake of breeding values and, and related technologies in the in the sheep industry, beef industry is probably is definitely further up the S curve. I reckon we're in the part of the S where the rate of change starts to really start to go. And I guess I've been in the game for seventeen years since since I started my PhD, which is when I really started to get interested in in genetics and breeding values, and probably. Yeah, probably 15 years where I've been out and about doing presentations and, and talking about the power of breeding values in, in sheep breeding. So that feels like a long time, it, probably not in the, in the life of, life of biological, biological change, but it is, is a significant change. And, I, and I'm sure that we, when that all started, and obviously it's not just me, there's lots of people out there that have been working on this on improving the uptake of, of breeding values and, and improved technologies around around livestock breeding. Back when we started, there was, yeah, it's pretty much a flat line where we had a few innovators, real innovators that, that were using estimated breeding values or ASBVs in Australia. And then slowly but surely, it sort of, it's been flatlining. And, and now in the last three, four, five years, maybe we're starting to see that technology cut deeper into the into the industry. It's now no longer just the the innovators or the or the lone nuts that were out there that were making that change. It's now people that that might have sat back and watched those neighbours sort of do it the f- first and 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 see that they didn't ruin their sheep and then they they sort of dipped their toe in the water and now starting to we're seeing that snowball starting to to move. It's it's not yet exponential change in uptake, but we will end up at that point of the curve where the uptake of the technology is so rapid that anyone left doing things the old way will find themselves with a choice and one that will need to be made quickly. And the choice will be either change or be disrupted, and that's that's how we see it in the in all industries and, and agriculture and breeding is not gonna be is not gonna be different to that. If we think what's already happened in the in the dairy industry and in the pig industry and in the chicken industry, I don't know those industries well, but back in the in a previous life, in, a, in maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, there would have been lots of small breeding programs. My grandparents had a, had a Jersey stud, and I remember going to a, a heifer sale with my grandfather who was buying a couple of stud Jersey heifers, and obviously with the, with the advent of artificial insemination, and the ability to move genes around uh, really quickly, big breeding value, big breeding companies started up, and and now there's I don't know what the number is, but there's a small number of breeding companies that essentially control 
genetic gain across the dairy industry. We've seen the same in chickens. We've seen the same in pigs, and and that will have would have disrupted lots of people that were breeding their own pigs, might have been, or breeding their own bulls, and might have been selling those bulls back in the day. Whereas now, uh, if you're not getting semen from one of those top top entities, you're missing out on some of the production that you could have otherwise had. So that's going to happen. That's coming to the sheep industry. Whether it how it plays out might be different. We've got different technology these days. We're in a different we're in a different phase. So it might not play out exactly the same. But the the one thing that is one hundred percent certain is that, that things will change and we need to be prepared for that change. I think one thing cool thing in the book was and I've stolen it and sort of adapted it for the audience, uh, is is a bit of a reminder of what exponential growth looks like. We often talk about exponential growth and we, we hear about it in, in technology. Things like Moore's Law, where uh, yeah, things are getting cheaper all the time, or our, our memory and the capacity of, of computers doubles every 12 to 18 months, and now we're talking about it even going faster than that. And so what we've seen happen in technology is that things have got better and cheaper, and so amazing growth. And that's been essentially exponential growth for a significant period of time. I just want to paint a mental picture of what exponential growth is so that we get ourselves in the mindset of what change can look like and how quickly it, it can happen, remembering that, that technology change and, and nature are, are, are similar at, are at, at, at one, essentially. So we can, can expect some of this innovation change. We might think livestock farming is, is a tradition and, a, and something that can only be done one particular way but everyone in every industry has always thought that before they got absolutely smashed out of out of business so to put a bit of a mental picture uh, i want you to 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 picture a drop of water in the middle of the mcg melbourne cricket cricket ground for those uh, non-new zealand or australian listeners uh, google it it's melbourne's biggest sporting arena or australia's biggest sporting arena fantastic stadium right in the heart of melbourne uh, among those those sport loving Melbourneites. Anyway, it's a big big stadium, holds about 100, 110,000 people. And if we imagine a drop of water in the, in the middle of that MCG, and if it's doubling every minute, which is what exponential growth is. So if we imagine that that drop of water is doubling in volume every minute, after 15 minutes, there'll be a litre of water roughly, hopefully not in the middle of the Boxing Day wicket, but there'll be a litre of water out there where that one drop of water was after 15 minutes of, of doubling every minute. After 30 minutes, the field will be flooded and those on the ground level will be getting their feet wet. After 45 minutes, the stadium will be full to the top of the Great Southern Stand. And after an hour, the MCG will have filled over 18,000 times. That's what exponential growth looks like. So, and and I guess the point there is that at at the fifteen minute level, when there's a litre of water that you can't even tell out in the middle of the from the if you're sitting high up in the stand, yet yet sometime very shortly after that, you're in you're in some trouble. We often hear of exponential growth and think it's think it's quick, but the visualization of eighteen thousand MCGs full of water in sixty minutes is a good way of bringing it home. And again, the point of the story is how quickly things can change. At 43 minutes, most of the people in the stadium will still be dry. Just after two minutes later, the whole stadium will be swimming. And this is very much equates to the changes we see in innovation. We can be sitting comfortably one minute and find ourselves disrupted the next. 
it's a story you will have heard a thousand times maybe, but the story of, of Kodak, I think, is a great one. A technician at Kodak invented the first digital camera, but Kodak management decided to not pursue it because the first prototype was extremely expensive, was clunky and not particularly functional, Very a very low-quality image for a very high high cost. Clearly, they also decided not to pursue it because it would compete directly with their main business. And they were making megabucks at the time selling film and film processing equipment. So it didn't make any sense for them to invent something that would essentially take them, and they were market leaders, take them out of that market. Obviously, fast forward in history, it wasn't very long after that, maybe 20 years, that digital cameras really started to develop and it opened up essentially that arena to to anyone who because of the the cost of entry was as lowered by that technology and that's what happens all the time the cost of entry just gets cut down and then anyone comes in and then you've got things like instagram which i think there was 16 people running at the time when they got purchased by facebook for a billion dollars so you've got a, a behemoth of a company like kodak who's who filing for uh, filing for for bankruptcy and then 16 smart young individuals they might not even even that young smart individuals that uh, that essentially build a billion dollar company so we're telling these stories because it's important for us to think about how how livestock farming is going to go and make sure we we have a mindset that accepts that things are going to change and we have a mindset looking for that change and wanting to see what's coming over the horizon in livestock farming and breeding we're about to see a wave of technology change the way of the way we do things we probably can be guilty of thinking we haven't seen a lot of change in the last 15 20 years but if we actually stop and think about how it was 20 years ago we will admit that there has been some change and obviously there's still some great traditions in the industry but also we're doing things smarter and better than we have before but i think we are definitely only just just beginning to see the tip of the iceberg and I think a big part of that change, obviously robotics, the Internet of Things, and as as all having its all playing roles for the sensors we can we can roll out, robots that can do things. We've got tractors obviously driving around autonomously, spray rigs, whole all sorts of things that, that we will see get it better and better and, and automate a lot of processes. At a time where a lot of in large chunks of the world where it's very hard to find farm labour and what we're going to see is is the necessity for some of that farm labour to be less or to be able to be lower skilled because of because of technology. AI or artificial intelligence, not artificial insemination, one thing that we have to be very clear about which one we're talking about when uh, I do yeah, talk a lot about both types of AI and it's important to make sure we know which one we're on about. So artificial intelligence, AI or, or machine learning already controls lots of lots of your life particularly if you're sort of a little bit computer savvy and spend a bit of time on your phone or on your laptop or your tablet it already controls what you see on social media which which stories get sent your way which people's profile who who you get suggested to be friends with that's all very much controlled by neural networks artificial intelligence the big companies harvesting your data using that data to to predict things they're sending the right using AI to send the right ads your way, using AI to send the right emails to the right people, to advertise the right gear to the right people, and that's happening all the time. In fact, AI was probably partly to blame for you listening to this podcast in the first place. It may have been suggested to you 
via Facebook, Instagram, wherever, um, or, or fed up through your feed and, and you've grabbed it and clicked on it and then and started listening. We use it to improve the audio on this podcast. We use it when we want to transcribe these podcasts. When I'm driving around, I'm using Siri to act hands-free, and, and the list just goes on and on how AI is part of our, our everyday life right now, whether we kind of like it or not. It is coming to agriculture, and it's, and it's going to fundamentally change the way we do things. There are three relevant examples that I can draw on where we have, we've used AI to do things that were previously impossible, and they're all happened in the last few years, and largely uh, through collaborations with, with uh, Tomo in Australia. So with Ian, who's, who's our lead, lead engineer at, at Genesmith, Genesmith is now a company or a, sp- a split-off company from NextGen Agri, but we, uh, we're obviously across both those companies now, Nisha and myself. So Ian at Gene Smith, Tomo from Murdoch University, Andrew Thompson, and John Young or Youngie over there at Farm Systems Analysis Service over in uh, in the south of WA. We had a, an MLA project where we developed a decision support tool for ULAM mating, essentially built a, a neural network, artificial intelligence, that is trained on model outputs of, of Youngie's model. And then... We develop neural networks from that that can be hosted on a website so that an individual farmer can plug in their parameters and test the likely profit from mating new lambs or hoglets if you're if you're in uh, in New Zealand or elsewhere in the world. And so before that, we were always trying to make decision support tools, but we would have to limit our scenarios because we and then we'd model that, or then we'd run the model on those scenarios and then provide them to you in either a table or in some sort of spreadsheet. With the power of AI, we can fill lots of those gaps, giving you many more, many more sort of middle parameters, and and millions of different parameters that we can that we can sort of predict because we've got a neural network predicting predicting it rather than us having to guess which which ones uh, which systems you would like to compare. That hasn't been an easy job. That went a little bit harder than we thought. We've it's been a little bit slower than we thought. Um, for a range of reasons, mostly not because the AI wasn't ready, but because uh, we hadn't actually some of the things we needed to model, or the young needed to model actually hadn't been developed yet. So, so the concept worked really well, and and uh, yeah, and and is working really well, and that's we're getting close to releasing that now. But we did have some a neural network's only as good as its training set, and we had a bit of a battle making sure we had the right training set. In addition to that, we used artificial intelligence uh, on sensors. So again, with Ian from from Gene Smith, Ian Harris, and and Andrew Thompson, and a big range of collaborators uh, across Murdoch and and other bodies, um, right back in and to our New Zealand Merino days and Sustainable Farming Futures, MLA and AWI have both provided funding for various parts of this work. Essentially, we've successfully trained models that can use accelerometers to predict sheep behaviour. And we've done that lots of things. We've, we've tried to predict lambing time. We've predicted uh, mating time or other others others have. Uh, we've done lots of whether are they ruminating, are they grazing, are they walking. There's a painstaking process to train those models. It's a, a group of students who are sitting around watching videos and coding those videos into into little 10-second bits and then looking at what the accelerometer trace on those 10-second bits is. And then, and then building that artificial intelligence or that that machine learning model, that neural network, 
over time, we've got that really accurate, over 90% accurate. If you get a, an accelerometer trace from a sheep, we can tell you what that sheep's up to. And, and that opens up a range of, particularly around research questions. And if we can get the sensors cheap enough, things like the AWI sensor, if we can get them at the price point necessary, or even sometimes for some of this stuff, you don't need a sensor on every sheep. You only need a sensor on some of the sheep in the mobs because some of these things are like, are we grazing? Are we happy? Are we not? And it's sort of you want a mob outcome rather than, than an individual outcome. So that, that has got some some promise. One of the most promising outcomes of that work was the ability to predict live weight change from the accelerometer, accelerometer traces. Uh, that we sort of just got to the to the start of that op- that opportunity before that project ended, and we're sort of uh, I guess in a bit of a holding pattern, waiting to see if we can secure some more funding to to really push down that that line. But that has yeah some significantly interesting opportunities uh, within that, and so again a project that couldn't be ha- couldn't happen. In research, we would, yeah, you might be able to pay someone to sit out there and and watch whether sheep are grazing or not, and we definitely have done that in our past. But now you can put out thousand sensors or whatever whatever the number is, and and the sensor will tell you what that what that animal's up to, who's it hanging around with, and that sort of stuff. So, particularly in a research use case, but also in a commercial use case where you don't need a sensor on every animal, there's some real potential there. And again, it wasn't possible without artificial intelligence. Gene Smith is is the one that I'll probably cover the most, and it's it's our it's our I guess sister company, or it's a split off company from from Next Gen Agri. It's uh, it's been going for or as a company since middle of last year, but for a couple of years or two or three years before that, the, the work and the concept has been built. It hasn't been a straight road by any stretch of the imagination. That's had more bumps and roundabouts and turn lefts and turn rights and steps backs and step forwards than, than you'd like to than you'd like to know but I guess that's the reality in doing new things is that that you can predict what's going to happen but it never goes the way it it, it can and and so essentially within James Gene Smith we're looking to la- uh, match dams to lamb or lambs to their dam so matching mum and the lamb using facial recognition digit detection and a whole host of of neural networks that essentially work together to determine whether a lamb belongs to a ewe or not autonomously. So it's a, it's a, like a human sitting out in the paddock, looking every time, every minute at daylight, looking across that field and saying, uh, there's a couple of animals, do I think they're related? And if so, who are they? And, and I'm going to report that. So we think we know that we can really supercharge the sheep industry if we know which lambs are coming from which dams because that enables us to determine which are our really productive dams in the mob. It will enable us to manage that a lot better. It will enable us to select our animals with a lot more accuracy. And it means that the EID that a lot of us are putting in, and I know in Australia, obviously, by 2025, everyone will have it in. We can actually supercharge that information because at the moment we can get a weaning weight on a lamb but we don't know much about what's happened prior to that. It could we we might know it was born a twin, but we don't know what was raised a twin. Whether it was whether it was uh, out of you that raised twins last year, or how how all that went. So I reckon a massive opportunity in Gene Smith. We're starting with dam to lamb in sheep. We've got aspirations to move that into beef cattle, 
Uh, we've already done lots of work on looking at structure and using cameras to predict stuff on on livestock and and yeah i think it's it is just a, a really big area of, of development and and something we're really proud to be to be part of i think the opportunity of combining good stock skills with with ai or artificial intelligence is is enormous and we're going to increasingly see smart systems apply to livestock far- farming we are truly unlimited by imaginations we and we have to remain aware and curious enough to allow ourselves to imagine rather than to bar, pass it off as a fad or to be scared of the change if if we can keep our minds open and keep our keep ourselves in that curious state we're going to imagine amazing things for for livestock farming and it's not going to mean that that our dogs replace the robots and and the humans that are replaced by ai but it will mean that we'll be working in synergy between between technology and the humans and we'll be doing a much better job of of what what we aspire to do so yeah so as gene smith's a shepherd or a stocky or a ringer depending what you call those individuals in the paddock 24 7 obviously can only see when it's daylight uh but it is a, a massive massive opportunity and it and it's it's a really classic example of of uh of how technology change can really aid us. We've been working on this gear for yeah, three, four years. And over that time, we've got our, the, the gear that we can use has changed dramatically. We just, just had taken ownership of the, of our latest sort of little computer that runs, runs the whole system. And in the space of the last two years, uh, it was just released just prior to Christmas, but the model it is fifty times more powerful than the model before it, and at basically the same price point, a slightly increase in price. But but that has opened up a massive opportunity for us. It's now fifty times more powerful, uh, so that means that we can some of the things that we were doing, which were sort of really at the limits of the technology, we're now well within the within the scope of that technology. So that's pretty cool and. And um, yeah, and really good. And it's sort of, I guess, one of the things about a successful company is is timing. If we had have started this ten years ago, we would have probably, by the time we got going, went through all the heartache of of the the mistakes we've made and the the U turns we've done, and we probably would have got to the point going. Yeah, we actually can't. We actually, the technology is actually not quite ready for what we think we can do, and we might have we might have been cooked. Whereas, where at the moment we're in this wave of technology that's moving with us, and and all the indications are we're going to go really really well, and uh, and we're hopeful of that. So, on Gene Smith, we're really keen to to get cameras in paddocks uh, in the in the short term in the next couple of months. If anyone's lambing uh, in March. And they're listening to this podcast, and they were willing to to be. We've had cameras on farms right through, but this is the next iteration, and we're getting close to close to sign off on on what will be the commercial commercial model. We're looking for uh, yeah, individual for collaborators that are willing to to put some money on the line in terms of they're willing to pay for matching lambs to dam if we are successful in doing that, or when we are successful in doing that. And yeah, we'd be keen to hear from you. We're looking for people lambing in March, April, May, and then and then beyond. But we're really keen to get it on farm 
ASAP. So, and I think the most, uh, the earliest people are going to be lambing is, is March. I know a few people will be. Uh, obviously, once we get into April, we get a few more options. But yeah, um, we'd love to hear from anyone. If you want to check out GeneSmith, it's GeneSmith.ai. If you go on there, there's a form you can fill out and drop your drop your details in there and we'll keep you informed and certainly you'll be part of our first offers of, of use. Um, but yeah, or just contact me directly, mark at nextinagri.com if you think that you'd be a, a collaborator or potential or you're interested in that work. So yeah, love to hear from anyone that's interested in, in that in that work. It's um, it's been a, a massive learning curve for me and it's got a lot of opportunity for the industry and and the quicker we get keep it moving, the the better it will go. And I think yeah, we're starting obviously with that damned land matching. I think for obvious reasons, but there's yeah, there's huge potential beyond that. So I'm going to wrap that up there. That's uh, that's that's been. Uh, I guess we've covered a fair bit of territory. I am passionate about innovation. I think I go on little waves where sometimes I just get drop my head and focus on what we're doing and and drop and focus on next in agri and, and doing a great job of, of consulting and making sure that we've got the right the right team around us. And then other times I look up and, and I read a book like the one I'm reading at the moment, Humanification. And it forces me to get my head up and, and think about the future and think about what innovation truly looks like and what change looks like and and gets me pretty excited the reason i started next gen agri in the first place was i well i was always going to do it probably but but the actual when i made the made the step was when i was over at palo alto silicon valley and heard about artificial intelligence for the first time i heard about things like crispr i heard about all these technologies that that were going to were going to change and it made me want to do something about it It made me wanted to to get to get moving and and do my own thing and uh and yeah proud of where we've got next in agri and proud of where gene smith will go as well but i think we have to be careful in ag that we don't just want to keep things the same or same as we are in any any group of people we like things to be the same humans aren't big fans of change and we need to to keep our heads up keep looking keep curious and keep looking for what's coming over the horizon because i think we are in the box seat of some amazing opportunities coming to us. It's wrapped up in a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of uh, of change as well. And it's not not going to pretend it's going to be a a smooth a smooth transition. We've all had failed technology before, but but the good things are, are coming to livestock and and uh, yeah, looking forward to be part of it. So thanks very much for for listening along. We'll have a a, a more normal podcast next week where we're, we're interviewing. Uh, a guest but uh yeah i'd love to hear your feedback you can find me on twitter at ferg genetics or ferg genetics or you can find us on instagram or next now go on twitter or facebook we're on across all those platforms so jump on there and follow us and make and provide your comments or, or send me through an email at mark at nextinagri.com we'd love to hear your feedback or your thoughts or or to tell me where i where i went wrong all right i will sign off there thanks very much Thanks again to our mates at Heinegger who are proud world leaders in the manufacturing and supply, professional sheep shearing and clipping equipment. They understand that their customers rely on the quality and performance of their products each and every day. Also thanks to our friends at MSD Animal Health and Orflex. They offer an extensive livestock product portfolio focused on animal health and management 
all backed up by exceptional service. Both of these companies are wonderful supporters of the Australian and New Zealand livestock industries, and we thank them for sponsoring the Head Shepherd podcast.